Welcome to the Catch by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nations, a sea of blue. Um, Big Blue Drew, Aaron Gershon here is with me. And um, man, I was a lot more excited to do the podcast last week after we um, beat Tennessee and did the Tennessee celebration episode than I am this evening. Very much a different story in the roller coaster that has been the Kentucky football season. So that's probably where we'll start today. Um, Maybe hit some basketball. It's been a huge, huge, huge sports week this week for sure. But what's up, Aaron? Hey, man. Yeah. Uh, how about it's way two different podcasts we're going to have in a matter of seven days here. But uh, that's just uh, – that's what a 10-game SEC football schedule will do to you, right? I mean, uh, it's the best conference in the world. There's no doubt about it. Anyone can beat anyone on any given Saturday. And, uh, you know, Kentucky with an upset win, and then they get uh, upset themselves a week later. Just absolute polar opposites, man, just from the – the feeling that you got watching the game, like score aside, statistics aside, just the vibe watching the game, man. Like it was so painful watching that game on Saturday. And I was smart too, Aaron. I meant to put this on Twitter because I was really smart and some good advice. Like that's the perfect game. Like when you're married or have responsibilities of whatever sort to just be like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. It's fourth quarter of this game. Forget it. I'm helping you do whatever. So at the proper moment, you know, when it's like every Kentucky football sporting event, not, not everyone. That was that one time when I, you know, helped you do something um, at that moment because it was just, it was so painful to sit there and watch the game. Yeah, man, it was a, there was a lack of energy from Kentucky. You could tell right off the bat and the polar opposite from Missouri. You just saw like, I don't, neither of us were in Columbia, but you could see on TV, uh, one, the TV sideline reporter made a comment about the energy on the Kentucky sideline in the first um, quarter, and she called it dead, and it looked dead. And then the Missouri sideline, whether it was taunting or not, they were into the game. When you saw the, literally the entire sideline, it felt like all these yellow jerseys uh, surrounding Kelvin Joseph, who was, uh, you know, knowing Kelvin, probably talking, and Missouri was able to get the best of them Saturday. So uh, just a lack of energy. Uh, it seemed like maybe, just maybe, they overlooked this Mizzou team uh, after coming off the high of the Tennessee win. And then going uh, to uh, having Georgia coming here uh, this Saturday. But, yeah, man, a lot went wrong, especially on the offensive side of the ball. What do you attribute to just the lack of energy? And I know we talked uh, on the Big Blue Insider, and I said I was was expecting some sort of a a letdown, I guess you could say, just based off just the unbelievable stellar performance that the defense and stuff had had. So a letdown was inevitable. You know, it was just how much of one. Do you have any – you know, other than going on the road or coming off that huge win that they just came out and could just never bust out of that funk. Like, it didn't surprise me early, but, like, I mean, just never even looked like they wanted to be there. Yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you. I think that – I mean, part of it this is not an excuse, but I think part of it was, of course, uh, Coach Larman, who's kind of been uh, – him and Chris Oates have kind of been the rallying cries for these two teams. And uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see the behind the scenes videos they did uh, from the Tennessee win. It was awesome. And you could tell that Shalarman, uh, not just the offensive line, he has a huge impact on this team, not just because of what he's dealing with, of course, but um, uh, he's a motivator. He's a great speaker. The team you could see uh, from the video was really, you know, tuned in to what he had to say. And they really, uh, went nuts when they gave him a game, uh, Stoops gave him the game ball after the Tennessee game. So him, obviously, 
way more important is his health and his family right now. So uh, definitely keep him and his family in your thoughts and prayers. But him not being on the trip, I think definitely might have hurt some of the energy. I think that's part of it. And my concern is there's a lack of confidence, uh, not necessarily in the quarterback, but more. I was talking on the Big Blue Insider with uh, Jeff Bacoro from the UK Sports Network about this last night. If the quarterback is having trouble having confidence in the guy he's throwing the ball to, because look, I mean, we'll get into this later. I don't really blame the quarterback for a lot of what's going on with the offense. I, I don't think Terry Wilson, Joey Gatewood deserve much, uh, the blame. As, I mean, yeah, there have been some bad plays, but uh, it's demoralizing when guys aren't catching the ball when you put it there. And the offensive play calling we all know was not great on Saturday. Uh, but even, the you know, other than the Rose 29-yard run, uh, run, there wasn't much on the ground because the offensive line didn't have a good game. So I just think there's a lot of uh, displeasure going on in that sideline. Maybe they, like I said, got a little too high uh, after last week. But uh, Coach Schlarman not being there, there seemed like just a, a whirlwind of wrong, uh, you know, kind of struck down on this team on Saturday. Yeah, offensively, it was just a struggle. I'm kind of looking over the stats again, not that anyone wants to know, but total offense, 421 to 145. And it just kind of confirmed, I guess, the worst case scenario for Kentucky when they were definitely just kind of in limbo after a, a you know rough start and then picking it up. It's just that if the defense basically isn't scoring lots of points, then they're not very effective or at least impacting the game in major ways, winning you know the, the field position battle, coming up with turnovers which uh, that didn't happen at all on Saturday. So just it's just it's going to be a slog of a thing with the SEC grime and sure as heck isn't going to get any easier. And now especially with a quarterback controversy and stuff coming up. So we'll kind of start there as far as relevancy goes um, post-Missouri, Aaron, because what's up with Terry? I mean, what are you hearing and kind of what are you expecting to go down Saturday? And is this really a two-guy race now or what? Yeah, it's a good question. It doesn't sound like, to me, Terry is going to play on Saturday, and it's not related to his play. Uh, Mark Stoops kind of dropped the news yesterday during his press conference that Terry was dealing with multiple minor injuries, uh, that he wasn't planning on practicing then. Uh, and then today, Eddie Grand talks to the media on Tuesdays, uh, said that Terry did not practice, which, and that they, he'd be reevaluated tomorrow. And basically, to me, it's uh, he's not going to play. Uh, Bo Allen and Joey Gatewood have been getting the reps at number one. I, I would, I gotta think it's going to be Gatewood who draws the start on Saturday. Maybe see Bo Allen come in late uh, if this game kind of goes as we we're expecting, which is not very competitive in favor of Georgia. But um, yeah, I don't think Terry's going to play, and I think that you know there's a lot that's going to weigh into this decision on who to go to the rest of the way. I mean, obviously, this team's not winning the East. I think that's out of the equation at this point. Um, this team might get into a bowl game, but they don't need to fight for it, right, because everyone gets uh, eligibility with how uh, they set up the rules with COVID this year. And then, the, and then what are you playing for at that point? Are you playing to get young guys reps because no one loses um, a year for this COVID season? Uh, are you playing to try to upset Alabama, Florida, and Georgia? Are you trying to still push? Are, are, well, assuming they lose to Georgia, that is. Are you going to go push to finish? They, I guess six and four would be the max. I mean, what's the plan for this season? I think that's going to play a lot into it. And the other thing to think about is, look, Terry Wilson, while, like I said, it's a blanket waiver this year, he's made it very clear. I mean, he just had a daughter 
Uh, he's had the injuries. He's already a fifth-year senior. This is it for him. So, and after everything that kid has gone through, which you feel terrible from him, for him, and no, this year he's been inconsistent. He obviously had a great game against Ole Miss. He did some really good things against Tennessee. Even at times against Auburn, he was good. Um, you want to see him get a couple more chances at this thing, right? I mean, he's been through enough. Uh, so it really – it's just so interesting. I think it's really going to depend on how they want to play it. I don't think they're going to want to platoon Gatewood and Terry and play two guys a week like some schools play it. So I think they're going to eventually name a starter and stick with that guy. But at least for Saturday, I, my money's on Joey Gatewood getting the start, Terry being inactive, and uh, Bo Allen being the number two. Play calling-wise, I know the big thing this week and last week and the week before was getting Chris Rodriguez more touches. I know that's kind of the drum everyone's beating and it's continued to beat. Um, it seems like it's been trending that way. I guess the last couple of days everyone's been acknowledging that. So do you expect him to get more carries? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think – and Eddie Grant pointed it out tonight, and he was right. Uh, Chris has been the main guy out of the back for the last two games. I know Rose has been the first one out, but if you look at who's gotten more carries – uh, it's not even close in favor of Chris. So I think he'll be the feature back. I think the problem on Saturday was a couple things. I, I think Eddie Graham definitely deserves some blame, of course. But then, you know, let's dig a little deeper. Missouri, um, all three of their first games, they gave up more than 30. It was 38 points was their – no, four, yeah, 38 points. Look at now, was their best effort. And if you look at the quarterback play, they were lit up. Uh, all three games, including by Jared Garantano. So you can't blame Eddie on that first possession for taking three shots when Missouri's pass defense has been awful all year. But then the other way to look at it too, just to kind of take some pressure off Eddie here, is Kentucky's defense couldn't get off the field. Look at the time possession. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was like 43 to 16. Something. Yeah, let me, let me read his – I actually just found – I didn't see this um, either. I just saw his quote today. It kind of seemed like he was a little agitated when he got asked why Chris Rodriguez doesn't get more carries and then softened up. But here was Eddie Grant's quote about it. He's had more reps than any running back, I think, the last two games. If they want to see my statistical sheet, they can. When you only run about 10 plays in a the game, there wasn't a lot. And he didn't chug that thing very much. <laughs> I tried to read that three times. That really said, we didn't well, do much of anything right, Grant said. So, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of uh, telling. And sorry, then he finishes up that quote, I guess, by saying, hopefully you'll continue to see 24 getting more carries for sure. I like the way he's running the ball right now. Those people are right to ask that question. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to give him the ball. That was kind of my point. And I, I was thinking this through uh, just because, you know, all the fans on Twitter are saying fire Grant and I want to – see exactly what went wrong here. Remember, this, this guy reinvented Kentucky's offense last year. And I know Lynn Bowden was the one who put in the actual work, but it still takes a lot for an offense coordinator to pretty much create a whole new playbook in a matter of a week. And he did that, and this team went six and two down the stretch with a guy who could barely throw a ball playing quarterback. So we got to give that a little bit of thought here. And I think it comes down to personnel. I mean, the time of possession – is not only an indictment on the defensive struggles from the game, but the offense when they got the ball, I think they went three and out at least four times, maybe three. They didn't run the ball well because the offensive line didn't play well. Terry Wilson on a couple RPOs didn't have the good reads that he can sometimes, and he made mistakes with the ball. He overthrew guys at times. Keaton Upshaw down the sideline had a terrible drop. Uh, Josh Elliott a fumble. I mean, this was not a well-played game by the players on offense. And – 
you know, <laughs> I think the biggest thing we've learned uh, that's kind of still holding Kentucky back from being, you know, that SEC East contender that they've closed in on getting there, but they're not quite there, is they haven't done enough to recruit the wide receiver position. I mean, or tight ends for that matter. These wide receivers, I mean, look, Josh Elliott is a nice player. Uh, you look at Alabama's depth chart, he'd be the seventh guy. I mean, they just don't have enough at receiver. I think they do have enough at quarterback. But if you don't have guys you can throw the ball to and your offensive line, which is supposed to be the best, if not, uh, one of the best in the SEC, if not the best, is not playing up to par, it makes life really difficult no matter what Eddie calls. All right, first and foremost, we got to clear something up. So since I just fumbled through that, I, I did a little bit of research. And thanks so much to Nick Roush, our buddy from Kentucky Sports Radio. So, so now I'm, I'm understanding what that quote that he mistyped was supposed to say. It was supposed to say that he didn't touch that thing much. Right. Somehow Nick wrote, because um, I was trying my hardest, man, to figure out what it was supposed to say, but it says to chug. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I, could, I couldn't put it together. It's like one of those word puzzles. I forget what they call those where you got to – unjumble the words but anyway yeah I think you're right as far as all the positional breakdowns you went through it's just and again I just have to keep going back as far as football goes and I really want to hit basketball because it's a little bit more fun to talk about right now but just a complete polar opposite of the conversation we had last week when we did the Tennessee celebration and just kind of the the trajectory you thought this team was on and it was looking more like hey this defense is just rock solid you know one of the best in the conference and the offense is going to start picking it up and put everything together and it was kind of the opposite, but not going to get any easier, man. Georgia's coming in. I think they're going to be ready to kind of lay the hammer down if they can early in that game. So what do you think about that, Aaron? What do you, how do you think Kentucky will respond and come out looking on Saturday? I mean, I, I think this Kentucky team has enough leadership that they'll come out and play hard. Uh, but, look, you, we just went over all the personnel issues Kentucky has on offense. Well, you know, Georgia's the best defense in the SEC, and I know Alabama handled them, but it, it was, you know, it took a little bit for Alabama to get in a rhythm, but then you look at what Alabama's offense is, it's the best in the country by miles. It might be Nick Saban's best offense at Alabama, which is a lot. So I think Georgia's defense is going to be way too much for uh, this Kentucky offense that really can't do anything right now. I do think Kentucky's defense has the ability to keep them in it for a little bit. Georgia has a, you know, former walk-on at quarterback, who's been up and down so far, but they have, they just have more playmakers at the end of the day. So I, I oh, the dog is aggravated right now, but uh, I think, Chill out, Barker. <laughs> I think at the best you're looking at a two possession game, but I think it could be more. Yeah, I definitely think it has the makings of potentially get ugly because again, just the swag of the team is so not typical or not what we saw last week. It just how in just a few days, it's just kind of, Totally imploded, and we'll see how they respond because that's going to be crucial because now they're – I mean, they're getting into – we knew this coming in. Um, the back half of their schedule is just brutal, so they're going to have to figure something out. Um, but we'll see, man. We'll see. Before well, we talk about basketball, though, let's hit a quick commercial break. All right, and we are back. Cats by 90 podcast. Big Blue Drew, Aaron Gershon just went through the uh, – man, it was a little bit difficult to get through that. Went through the state of Kentucky football right now. Hopefully they pick things up and the, the momentum kind of swings the right way come Saturday against Georgia. But no shortage of basketball news. The opposite um, kind of for basketball, Aaron. Everything's getting exciting. Things are moving along. And I guess we can kind of just go chronologically with this because 
who was it first? Uh, Sky Clark um, commits first. So I was pretty close. I knew a lot of people, I guess I should say, that were pretty close to that recruitment. So I've been following it um, close. What did you think about Sky Clark uh, committing to the blue and white? Yeah, I wasn't too surprised that it happened, but obviously it's a very uh, good addition from everything I've heard. He's uh, top-notch. He's maybe even better than his – I think he's 14th or 13th overall, depending on whether you like to go to rivals or uh, 24-7. So I've heard he can end up being a top-10 guy. Um, I'm very curious to see if he sticks in the 2022 class or if he does decide to reclassify. But anytime we get a five-star guard in here – uh, five-star guard, rather, it's a big deal. Any pro- five-star prospect's a big deal. And uh, if he comes next year, uh, I think it'd be a really good guy to have because you're probably going to see Terrence Clark, who's already acknowledged he plans on being a one-and-done, and B.J. Boston out of here. Uh, maybe, I would think Devin Askew will still be around. Davian Mintz, obviously, is a grad transfer. So um, you kind of, maybe you have a Askew-Clark um, backcourt and then whoever else comes in for this class. And then if it's two years down the road, we'll talk about him more then, but obviously getting him uh, in the program or at least committed to the program uh, over, you know, all the top notch schools they were going up against is a big deal. I've seen Sky Clark already kind of um, embracing a lot of the 2021 players. It seems like he's close with a lot of, I'm sure, you know, reclassification is going to be a hot topic with him, depending on how he feels and the class shapes up. I know he just transferred high schools, I believe. So, who knows what high school basketball look like, which I'm sure will impact a lot of decisions as far as reclassifications and things go. But then next, Bryce Hopkins, which, man, I'll say, looking at Bryce Hopkins, when he first decommitted from Louisville, I was talking to people, and I thought it was going to be like days later pretty much that Kentucky was getting locked up. So I don't know if it was like silent commit situation or whatever was going on, but, um, you know, I'm sure, especially after decommitting, I guess he wanted to get courted a little bit, but from my understanding, man, things got a little, a little you know, sketchy down the end as far as uh, what he was going to do and schools that were coming after him, Illinois and stuff like that. So different player. That's what I'm excited about. Like if you watch Bryce Hopkins play, he's not your typical, um, you know, six, six lanky guard type athlete. I mean, the dude's got some weight to him, the way that he plays, I think developmentally he could get really, really good. So I was excited to see the addition of, of Bryce Hopkins in the class. Yeah, so was I. I mean, he's well, – you're right. Illinois, I heard, was hot on him. I heard Providence had a lot of momentum for a little bit. But, yeah, I, I didn't think it would take this long, but here we are. Hopkins, yeah. I mean, he's 6'7", so he kind of reminds me body-wise. I don't know if this is a fair comparison or not. I don't know about athlete, uh, but he kind of looks body-wise, kind of like Keon Brooks a little bit. Um, but I guess he's more of a four than a three. Like Keon was a three in high school, kind of got moved to the four last year. But yeah, this is a guy who's rated number 30 in the country, or at least top 30 by both services. He's a guy that is uh, everyone I've talked to is really high on and believes is underrated. So I kind of like that Kentucky's going with the four star guys early in this class. Get the guys that maybe you see something in because. Normally, John Calipari is a pretty good eye. I remember Tyler Hero and Shea Gilgis-Alexander were both four-star guys, and uh, they turned out pretty damn good. <laughs> They're still pretty damn good in the NBA. So uh, I like Nolan Hickman and uh, Bryce Hopkins as four-star guys to start this class. 100%, man. And I think that not only does Calipari have the eye for it, but I think particularly talking about Bryce Hopkins, I think there's just it's a different prospect. Like I said, 24-7 sports list them at 6'7", 220, um, already. And like I said, just the limited film and stuff that I've seen on him, 
Um, I like his game. I think he plays, you know, he can, he can kind of bully around, has a nice soft touch around the rim. So Cal knows, man, they know the big guys. Joe Justice has been on fire yeah. um, with these recruitments. And then, and then Jay Lucas. So now kind of the big one, you know, we always like the future. So huge basketball pickups can't overstate those much. And I, I meant to mention earlier too, shout out to our boy, um, Travis Clark from Cats Illustrated. He was all over um, the Sky Clark recruitment. And I know he'll be somebody good to stay in touch with because whenever he comes, I know that he has um, a lot of access and, that was neat, man, to kind of to watch him go through the process um, through Travis a little bit, and we'll see whenever. He's going to be in Rupp Arena at some point, whether it's uh, next year or the year after. But now it's all kind of all eyes on Damian Collins, man, and what he's going to do, and that's all Jay Lucas, man. Jay Lucas comes and, you know, immediately he was his lead recruiter at Texas, I think, and now, you know, Kentucky became an immediate player, and I think uh, that's – from what I'm hearing, man, that's all indications is we'll be – you know, someone else will want to be next on Saturday. He just announced, actually, his uh, Saturday's his commitment date. Yeah, real quick before we get to Collins, I mean, just you mentioned Joel Justice. And a lot of fans were worried when Kenny Payne decided to make the move to the NBA, um, how it would affect recruiting because KP – kind of comparing to Vince Marrow as kind of the recruiting coordinator and top, you know, dog. Uh, like, Mark Marrow is for football. Payne was for basketball. He's obviously a loved guy by players. They would talk glowingly of him, um, you know, developing him, developing them as a basketball player. But Joel Justice is a pretty darn good recruiter himself. And he was the lead guy, I believe, on both – definitely on Clark. I think he was on Hopkins, too. Um, but Jay Lucas now – He's the guy that's hired to take the recruiting coordinator position because of how well he did it at Texas. I mean, look at the names he brought in there, uh, despite that program really not winning much with Mo Bamba. He got him there over Kentucky. He got, obviously, Greg Brown uh, last offseason. He's gotten Jackson Hayes, who was a lottery pick of the New Orleans Pelicans. So he's the real deal. And Collins was a project of his at Texas. He takes the job at Kentucky and says, I want to bring you here. And it sounds like, like you said, all indications are that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's good to see right off the bat. Remember last year, the problem for Kentucky is they struggled recruiting bigs. It uh, came down to getting Olivier Saar from Wake Forest. They were really, outside of Lance Ware, who's kind of a raw guy, and Isaiah Jackson, uh, they didn't do great getting big guys here. And there was a lot of concerns about the front court. Well, right off the bat, you would get Hopkins a forward. And you might get Collins here, another, I believe he's 6'9", five-star guy. And that would be a stellar start um, to this class. Yeah, I've, I've been kind of tasked with writing some stuff for a Sea of Blue um, pending Damian Collins' decision. And, oh, my gosh, a freak athlete, kind of different than Bryce Hopkins mm-hmm. from that aspect. But going back to your point about last year and the striking out on the bigs, which I remember, I think Bryce Hopkins could be your answer for that um, looking back because – you know, he could be a two-, three-year guy, potentially, who knows. Um, and then, again, with just his size and, you know, coming to a place like Kentucky, he can kind of fill out and put that basketball body together. I think he could end up being a really good player here. So, that's exciting. And then Damian Collins, again, man, just absolute stud of an athlete. Check out some of his highlights. And, boy, has Texas just been good at Kentucky in general. I was just trying to jot just a few names down. I'm sure I'm missing some. But Jared Vanderbilt, uh, both the – obviously, um, both the Twins – the Harrison twins, and then uh, Julius Randle, De'Aaron Fox, like such a hotbed for basketball, man, right now. Texas, kind of that area, and Jay Lucas, man, he's all over it. Yeah, I mean, Tyrese Maxey last year, I believe. Tyrese Maxey, yeah, I knew I was going to miss one, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're totally right. They, they do recruit the Lone Star State really well. Obviously, when you think of Texas, you think of all the football prospects they churn out. But uh, the, they're pretty damn good at basketball, too. And like you said, Kentucky's got a lot of the top guys from there. P.J. Washington also, I believe, is a Texas kid. Um, yeah. I really well, – I think he kind of bounced around. I don't have to look that up. I know he played at a few places. Yeah. I think – I want to say his last stop was Texas, but I might be wrong on that. But, yeah, I still wish Jared Vanderbilt's the one guy that still makes you think what if, right, especially with how that bracket was um, with Loyola Chicago ended up coming out of it. Kentucky would have faced them in the Elite Eight if they got through the nine seed Kansas State. Um, I really think Jared Vanderbilt was the X factor missing there. But, yeah, it's been fun to see them go down there. And now you have a guy who knows the state, uh, played obviously at Texas. Uh, that's a weapon. And he's already, like I said, he's brought in some of the biggest names in the country to Texas to play for Shaka Smart, which we all know has not really amounted to much winning unless you count a 2019 NIT title as a big achievement. So, uh, th- yeah, I think he's going to be a massive, massive asset for this program you know it's hilarious and i knew this and totally forgot pj washington from louisville kentucky that's right <laughs> i totally forgot about that yeah that's funny. And he played high school in texas right uh-huh. yeah okay so that was what i was thinking that's right all right man let's hit a little few tidbits we can start wrapping up so a couple other basketball notes so um they finally i guess kind of announced a attendance somewhat of a, a plan for attendance for men's basketball this season at rep arena um basically just up in the air, but essentially a lot of people notified they weren't getting tickets and then yeah. Rupp Arena fans were kind of sent the letters. So expected, but who knows? I mean, I'll just be happy if they're, you know, they're playing games in Rupp Arena at some point. Yeah. I mean, we should just be thankful to have season. Every, Dick Gabriel has warned me that uh, you and I might be watching the games on the couch this year. Yeah. More so than not. But you know what? At the end of the day, be thankful there's basketball to watch. Even anybody allowed in the building. Uh, games to cover, even from home, it'll be fine. Uh, we'll make it work. But uh, what I'm more interested in, I mean, that was expected and obviously understood given it's an indoor venue. But what I'm more curious about is what is this, what is this non-conference schedule going to look like? Because John Calipari keeps saying, you're going to say I belong in a mental institution, that there's going to be no warm-up games, yada, yada, yada. But then the news comes down that Orlando is not holding a bubble anymore. You figure that's where the Champs Classic was going to be where Kentucky obviously would have gone. Plus, there were going to be other teams going there. Sounds like Indy might do something, but who knows? Uh, I'm really curious to see what uh, this non-conference schedule is. And, you know, one of the big teams on it was Richmond, who was supposed to be a top 15 team going into the year, and now their best player's out. So I wonder what, if it's still, like, crazy hard, like Cal's hyping it up to be. I'm very, very curious. I'm disappointed about the – I don't know. I was going to say disappointed about the Champions Classic, but now it sounds like that Indy's a good landing spot for that. So that would be sweet, even though, you know, not a lot of people, I guess, are going to be able to go or whatever. But at least a little closer to home for Kentucky, and I'd rather see it played there than anywhere else, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it uh, doesn't get better. Other than Louisville, I can't think of a better venue uh, for if Kentucky fans are allowed in to get them there. We just keep striking out on the freaking P.J. Washington trivia, too. He's from Dallas, Texas, but he played at Finlay Prep, which I believe is in, like, Nevada or, what, like, around Vegas. Oh, wow. So, I but, I, I, he's I, been all over the place, man. Born in Louisville, hometown Dallas, and then play at Finlay Prep. Because he always talked about Dallas, so I knew that, I knew he was a Texas kid. I think he has a Texas tattoo, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken. Them Dallas boys are tough, man. Like I said, I just named a handful that Kentucky's got, and every year if you follow high school basketball recruiting, like I said, it's just such a hot spot. 
for all of them, really good athletes to come out of there and quality basketball players between Houston, Dallas, um, that whole tons of spots there. Um, random, but did you see where um, Kylan Hill, man, staple point kind of for the SEC running backs over the last few seasons? Uh, I didn't even hear too much about his meltdown. Apparently, after the Kentucky game was with his suspension, and then now I guess he's expected to opt out. So that's kind of crazy. Well, I mean, it's a really crazy story with Kylan Hill. I mean, over the last three years, he's been one of the top running backs in the SEC. I think last year, statistically, he was the best running back in the SEC. Then over the summer, he threatened to sit out, remember? Mm-hmm. Over the flag, right? Flag, right. And then he was really – he's kind of what got the ball rolling and they, you know, he were able to make that change down to Mississippi, which, you know, kudos to whatever he is, 21-year-old kid to get that done and be a huge part of it. But you kind of had to know his role was going to change significantly when you bring in Mike Leach, who is going to throw the ball 99.9% of the time. Uh, Hill obviously had a great game against LSU as a receiving back, but his numbers have not been good since that game. So maybe it had something to do with him not liking the air raid. But then why don't – I don't know. When Leach comes in, why don't you transfer? Any school in the country would take you, including Alabama. Anyone would. He's that good. So really mysterious. Uh, I don't know. His NFL draft stock is going to be – that's going to be one hell of a, you know, <laughs> hell of a resume, right? You have some great numbers in there. You have some iffy numbers mixed in. You have the amazing accomplishment of what he did, uh, to, uh, spark change down in Mississippi. And then you have quit on team on there as well. So – uh, it's going to be a hell of a hell of a job for NFL uh, scouts to break down and see if he's worth drafting. He had 15 receptions against Kentucky, <laughs> and I get that most of them were kind of like basically you know just rushes, like checkdowns. But that's just insane if you get 15. That's their receptions. offense, right? That's their offense. They want to throw the ball, and that when I say throw the ball, it doesn't mean they're taking shots down the field. It's sticks and dunks. It just instead of running the ball up the middle they're going to throw a screen pass. That's just how Mike Leach does it. The, Kentucky's football games have just been so bizarre. Like, I just oh. archived that because I knew Kylan Hill had a bunch of, um, you know, receptions. That game, Kentucky wins 24-2, to two, bizarre enough, with the leading – obviously, Terry Wilson led in passing with 73 yards. He led in rushing with 50 yards, and Josh Ali had two receptions for 22 yards, and they won 24-2. to Like, remember, it's been a weird, weird season up and down. Every game you just – I mean, it is just – you have no idea what to expect. And the crazy thing with the stat line with Terry's rushing yards, his biggest – he had a 51-yard run that game. So that means the rest <laughs> of his runs must have been for lost wow. yard. At least he had one really – I can't remember. It blends in at this point. But, yeah, he literally – most of those yards were accumulated on one play. Otherwise, he didn't have anywhere to run. That's insane. I even forgot about that, man. The rabbit hole just goes even deeper. It is just, man, again, every – just every – I have no idea what to expect when they – you know, if they were to meet another, like, kind of evenly-ish match team. I mean, it won't surprise me if Georgia blows their doors off or, you know, I guess if the, if the best version of Kentucky comes out that we've seen this year, I mean, they can be competitive. And, you know, I had said to – Aaron, last week a lot that if Kentucky went down to Missouri and looked good in a win, not just one, but you felt good watching the game, that I was going to be hyped up for this Georgia game on Halloween. But as we talked in the beginning, it was the it could not have been more of enjoyed watching, looked apart. Yeah, look, I mean, it's starting to make me think, and I hate to say it, but Ole Miss, if you look at their defense every week, it is atrocious. I think their best game was this week when they allowed 35 to Auburn. So, 
did they just play like a defense who doesn't belong in the SEC and had like a kind of a tune-up game offensively then, and they still ended up losing because the defense was horrendous and you missed, you have a fumble, you have the extra point. Uh, so it makes me question, was that game kind of just, uh, just uh, I'm looking for the word, kind of <laughs> just not what Kentucky really is. It was kind of just a fluke. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, every week we've came on here and, and pretty much said that, aside, I guess, um, from Auburn to Ole Miss. But after that, we're just, like, not even knowing. I mean, again, after the Tennessee game and the performance defensively against Mississippi State, I mean, you, you can make some lofty projections for that team and not really be too far off base. And now if you were to even, you know, fathom them kind of com- competing with Georgia, it, it is kind of going out on a limb based off the four quarters of just – atrocity that that was but I think the first you're going to really know how that thing is going to go in my opinion in the first you know two possessions for each team first quarter early first quarter just if they're wide-eyed and looking ready to go I think the team has enough talent to you know make their mark and keep the game you know respectable but if they come out looking like they did on Saturday I mean Georgia's going to waste no time just kill them yeah, they, uh, they could shut them out. That's how good, I mean, last year Georgia did shut them out. I know the weather was a, a big circumstance for that, but Georgia did shut them out last year. They could do it this year just because Kentucky's offense isn't very good. Um, and you just look at the schedule, man. <laughs> you got three top ten teams still to play with Georgia, and then the next two are on the road at Alabama, which do we even have to go down there? I mean, they have no chance. I still uh, want to go to that. I got to try to get that. an application in for that. I really want to go just – I don't care where they stick me. Oh, I, it would be neat just to go watch a Nick Saban program, I, you know, how they do things. No, I, I'm totally with you. But um, – and then they got to go to Florida, which, you know, top ten team, even against Texas A&M, you know, they lost by three points. Their offense has been clicking on all c- cylinders. We'll see how they come out of their COVID outbreak. Really, the only two games you feel – I'd say the one game we feel really good about is Vandy at home because Vandy looks even worse than they usually do this year. And then South Carolina, I mean, they lose a close game to Tennessee. Then they come back, they whoop Vanderbilt. They beat Auburn, which Kentucky did not do. Uh, They stunk against LSU. And I forget who their other loss was. They had another loss. Uh, It had to be a good team. I'm pretty sure it was. I think it might have been Texas A&M. I'm not sure, but it was a game they were expected to lose. So, look, they really – you're looking three and seven, four and six um, at best right now, and that is just such a disappointment when you look at the depth that this Kentucky team has, all the seniors this team has, and the promise this year offered, even with the SEC slate. You knew teams were going to beat up on each other because you look down in the SEC – I think there's only – there's one undefeated team left because that's just the parody of this league. Um, so, I, I really just think Kentucky's blowing such an opportunity. And it's really disappointing because it's going to be a much younger team next year. Remember, you're only going to have one guy returning on the offensive line. Uh, <laughs> this was their year to really, in my opinion, win the East if they wanted to before you kind of had to hit the reset button a little bit the next year or two. So, it, it's a tough pill to swallow. In the not-so-good news department for the Kentucky football Wildcats, um, Georgia only gives up about 65 yards a game on the ground. So, um, 253, they give up a lot of yards passing, but I don't follow Georgia football close enough to know how much of that is, you know, been skewed or whatever. But 253 yards. All all Alabama. Almost all of it was put on by Mac Jones. Right. It was a former U.K. commit also to make the wound a little deeper. So who knows? Maybe Kentucky can I don't know get something going and 
Looks like it's going to be Joey Gatewood. And last thing on football, man, we're going to wrap this thing up for tonight. But I got the sense, so when they were rotating quarterbacks on Saturday, Aaron, like I really just felt like I was watching the same player play. Like I don't know what I'm expecting from Joey Gatewood that I didn't from Terry Wilson. Like can you differentiate the two for me or do you feel the same way? Look, that's a really good point. We haven't seen much from Gatewood. I mean, obviously he was a highly recruited out of Auburn. I think the main difference is you're looking at a guy who's six foot five and just a freak athlete. And not saying Terry's a great athlete too. He's obviously as fast as any quarterback in the league and as good a runner as any quarterback in the league. But I think Joey can be more of a bruiser. I just don't – what I'm curious to see is how he throws the ball. I have no idea what he is as a thrower. I think Terry is an average quarterback when it comes to throwing the ball. I mean, I shouldn't even – he could be very good. We saw the play to Josh Alley. That was a dime by Terry Wilson. But I'm, I'm curious to see Gatewood throw the ball. But like I said, I just think the offensive issues uh, are so deep that it didn't really matter who was playing quarterback Saturday. They weren't going to have much luck. You could have put Brett Favre under center and you were, weren't going to win that game the way they were playing. So in summary then, Kentucky's really struggling to throw the ball. The fans are essentially demanding that we chuck that ball around and we're going to be going in with Joey Gatewood who essentially has little to no experience – um, no I guess help. under center um, against Georgia. With no – that's the thing that fans got to understand. Blame the quarterback. That's the easy thing. Look at who he's throwing the ball to, count the drops, and you'll change your mind. All right, yeah, I know. I mean, again, there's been weeks when Terry's gotten crushed, and then he comes out and he ranks out as, like, one of the top quarterbacks in the country but, for the week. I mean, remember – look, uh, I'll say this, and then we can wrap That is just so frustrating. The Keaton Upshaw, two weeks in a row – Tennessee, that ball in the end zone, dropped. Last week, I think it was on that very first drive, Wilson threw a pretty darn good ball down the sideline, Upshaw off his hands. And it's not just Upshaw. I'm not trying to call him out. Those were just the two most blatant ones. It's just so – it's infuriating, and it's not Terry's fault. Fair enough. I know a lot of people are on your camp with that. And at least if nothing else – It'll, you know, if Terry is not able to play on Saturday, there won't be as much decision about it. Like Gatewood, if Gatewood's the dude, let him, you know, let him make mistakes, let him play through it, and we'll see what he's got. And hopefully, you know, he's able to play through four quarters and you're not having to mix it up between either Bo Allen or Joey Gatewood. get Bo Allen some live bullets, right? True freshman, why not? Right, yeah, dang. Now, I don't know. I guess that's another good way to look at it, too, is that get – kind of get both guys some reps, but that's, I guess it goes back to what you were saying. It's kind of like, what are you really trying to get out of the rest of the season? So I guess that's a good point um, in the, in the aspect of getting both guys reps. Well, that makes me excited, man, actually, because I really like to see Bo Allen um, get a chance to throw it around Kroger field a little bit. Yeah. They've been raving about this kid. And when's the last time I can't think of the last true freshman Kentucky's put under center. So expect one, that, at least one that they were excited about putting under center on so. Halloween, man. So 2020, everything about this game is just 2020 as of now, but who knows, maybe, um, maybe they'll surprise upset. It'd be awesome, but we'll have to catch up um, soon. Aaron, I guess I'll see you Saturday. Yes, I will be there. Sweet. All right, man. Well, I'll see you Saturday, and we will maybe get a, a fresh recap from Kroger Field or, you know, on our way home after the Zoom conferences on um, Saturday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time.